when you start to label foods as healthy or unhealthy, inflammatory or not inflammatory, any black and white label that people place on individual foods that is just problematic when it comes to nutrition, because that's not the way that nutrition works. Individual foods are not healthy or unhealthy. It depends on how much you're eating in the context of your diet and your nutritional needs. You can take massive serving of watermelon. That might be one of the healthiest things that someone could eat after exercising, but someone who just overate and they have diabetes and they ate that watermelon, that it's going to cause their blood sugar to increase dramatically. And watermelon is a healthy food, but it is not promoting health in this person. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Joey, nutrition science PhD and founder of Fit for Life Academy. In today's episode, I have none other than Dr. Adrian Chavez joining us. For those of you that don't know who Adrian is, that means you must be a pretty new listener to the podcast because he's been on, I think, four times now. I think four is the right number. Definitely been on more than anybody else. Adrian's a close friend of mine. He has his PhD in nutritional science. He's a great source of nutritional information that's practical and applicable. And I love having conversations with him around complex topics because he does a very, very great job of taking complex topics and simplifying them down in a way that's digestible and easy to implement. So in today's episode, we mainly talked about why it's inappropriate or incorrect to label foods as healthy or unhealthy. And we really discuss why or make a strong argument for why there's no such thing as an unhealthy food. You can't make that blanket statement and how all foods in certain contexts can even have health promoting effects. Even foods that you would think are inherently unhealthy. I don't know, like diet soda, for example. So if you're somebody who thinks about food as healthy or unhealthy, if you're somebody who tries to avoid foods that you think are unhealthy for some, you know, some random reason, I don't want to use the word random, but for lack of a better term, for a particular reason, I really urge you to listen to this episode with an open mind and really think critically about the points that Adrian and I argue. That being said, I hope you enjoy the episode. Let's get right into it. Adrian Chavez, the uh, MVP of the podcast. What is this, fourth time now? You know, I'm always keeping score. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's about the fourth time, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And I need to ask you to do something before we actually get started because I was reprimanded by somebody in the comments on our last podcast on YouTube. So remember our last podcast, we talked about the carnivore diet. Mm-hmm. And somebody was like, how dare you, uh, it was, it was, it was funny. They said something like, how dare you have somebody on the podcast talking about such a complex topic without introducing their credentials at the beginning? Because I just assume that everybody knows who you are at this point, (laughs) but I'm not going to make that assumption because there are new listeners on the podcast every week. And so do you mind giving a short introduction of who you are, what you do, as well as some of your like actual research experience so people know that you're a legitimate scientist. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I have a PhD in nutrition and health promotion. So I got my PhD, graduated in 2015, Uh, got a bachelor's and master's degree before that in exercise science. Um, I was always interested in nutrition. I was always interested in both because they both matter, of course. And uh, but when I was getting my master's, I was like, all right, I really want to focus on nutrition. This is 
just a more complicated topic. It really interests me and the nuances of nutrition, as you've kind of alluded to, are just really fascinate me. In my opinion, they, they just nutrition never stops getting more complicated <laughs> as long as like it, the more depth you go into the subject, the more complicated it gets. And uh, that's something I really like about it. It's just really interesting to me. So I went on, got a Ph.D., uh, during my PhD work, I was focused on diabetes, cardiovascular disease prevention, did a lot of research, like hands-on research, developed a couple of programs, did like nutrition education in communities. We ran like DEXA scans. We ran blood work on everyone before and after. We're looking at like positive changes from like nutrition education on their actual like biomarkers um, and actually saw, saw some improvements with like, you know, a program just teaching people in the community center about nutrition. And these are like lower income, higher risk individuals. So had some hands-on experience with that, did a lot of work in the lab as well. Um, and then during a PhD, you get some experience teaching and then you read a lot of papers, like had probably read 2000 plus <laughs> papers during that time. And a lot of it, what a PhD is, is teaching you how to read research and teaching you how to interpret research in your field so that you can, you know, read, interpret and communicate that science. Um, so that's why um, in terms of like, you'll see me recommend a lot of PhDs. And that's why I interact with a lot of PhDs because in my opinion, th these are, you know, you, these are the people that learned how to read and interpret research the best. And so if you're trying to learn the science of a topic, you probably want to get that from people who have PhDs because that's what they had training in. So that's what I did during PhD. After PhD, started a business, started working one-on-one -on -one with clients, started running group programs. I've done research consulting for, for startup companies. I've done consulting and lectures. I've created programs and courses and all sorts of stuff over the last like eight years. Um, so I've done a lot of, got a lot of hands-on experience working with people, teaching this topic and also doing research. And I still read 10, 15 hours a week of, of papers when I can of research because I try to stay on top of the science of this field because it's always changing. And it's not, you know, it's not changing a lot all the time, like where tomorrow, you know, what, something we thought we knew is going to be dramatically different. Uh, but the research is always evolving. Um, there's always new papers that are adding to the body of research and helping us to understand this topic better. Uh, and it's really important if you're going to be a professional in this field and you want to be communicating science to other people to really stay on top of it. I know you do, Joey. Um, not a lot of people do. And it goes back to what we said, what I mentioned earlier is you have to have training to understand how to interpret the research. And then, you know, you have to stay on top of the research as well, which just takes a lot of work. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And so obviously to those listening, Adrian's a credentialed person, unless you think the entire academic system is a scam. <laughs> I haven't worked. If, uh, if that's the case, the time. <laughs> um, if that's the case, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> but all jokes aside, man, one of the reasons why I really enjoy having you on the podcast um, it's for a number of reasons. You and I see eye to eye on obviously 99% of the stuff that we talk about. I'd likely say 100% of the stuff that we talk about. You have the educational background, but you also have clinical experience working with communities and working with clients one-on-one. -on -one. So you've really done it all, right? From like the actual research side of things to then the more applied side of things, helping actual people improve their overall health. And you, like myself, really focusing really focus on emphasizing the basics. And I, I pause when I say that word because oftentimes like people think it's so boring and like, yeah, it's boring, but it's really what works. But you also do a really good job of explaining why some of these more sensationalist 
type of um, comments or information tends to be incorrect and can actually do more harm than good. I think that ties into nicely some of the things that we'll be talking about in this episode, which is using the words healthy or unhealthy to describe food isn't the best way of thinking about nutrition and why those words get tossed around so much and why they create so much clickbait and sensationalism, right? And obviously the, the word healthy or unhealthy themselves, like there's nothing inherently wrong with those words. I think the deeper meaning is making things seem way more black or black and white than they actually are, right? And it's all context specific where things that you think may be unhealthy in some context may actually provide some health related benefits. So I'm excited to talk about that. You know, one thing I wanted to share, <laughs> I'm always uh, thinking about funny stories in the back of my head when I'm talking. Um, I'm not sure if you saw my stories today on Instagram. Somebody, somebody commented on my, one of my posts and they were like, what the hell is a nutrition PhD? Why don't you get your dietetics license? Oh yeah. <laughs> I just had to like share that on my stories because it was so funny. Like people do not know what a nutrition PhD is. All the, com like the majority of the comments that are people roasting me, they're like, this guy's a fake medical doctor. I'm like, dude, it says nutrition PhD on my profile, but people don't know what that is at all. Um, yeah. For them, yeah. 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 Give maybe like a quick, quick summary. Like what the hell is a PhD? Like, why does it matter? I think you explained a little bit already, but just so people really understand what it is. Yeah. I mean, PhDs are, are trained to basically evaluate and interpret and create new research. And so um, when you're doing a PhD, it's going to be mostly research and you're reading research, you're writing papers from that research, and then you're uh, proposing ways that you can add to that body of research. So let's say, for example, in nutrition, uh, we want to know if a uh, vegetarian diet, diet is better than a, a omnivore diet. So your job, if that's what you're going to be studying during your PhD, because you choose the topics to study, mine was on nutrition and cardiovascular and metabolic health. So you choose a topic to study. And if yours is on vegetarian diets versus omnivore diets, basically you spend your whole three or four years or five years or however long you're doing your PhD reading all the research that's relevant to that topic, synthesizing that, writing papers on that, getting tested on that by your committee because you put together a committee of uh, professors that are like evaluating you on all this, all of your work that you do. And then you're proposing to do a study at some point to add to that body of research. So if you were studying omnivore versus vegetarian diets, you would be proposing to do some type of study that would add to the information that's available on that topic. So you might do a study where you put people on, you know, an omnivore diet versus a vegetarian diet and compare certain outcomes like that, you know, documentary just did, but actually in like a less biased way. Um, yeah. So not necessarily the way that that documentary did. Uh, but and so uh, that is like what you're doing during a PhD. So you're you're learning all about a certain topic and then you're trying to or not trying to you have to conduct some type of research study in that topic. And that's like the, the criteria in most PhD programs is you're going to have to do that. And depending on where you go, um, it can be extremely rigorous. So a lot of people think, you know, they associate PhD like is the same as getting a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. And it's completely different. Uh, it, it's kind of like going to medical school for most programs. They're going to really like it's going to be all day, every day thing. You're going to be working nonstop. Uh, for me, it was like sun up to sundown. I was teaching. I was going to the lab. I was going to classes. I was writing papers. I was uh, doing blood work. I was meeting with participants. Like I was working nonstop and it was 
very helpful because it helped me learn all the different aspects of research. Uh, and now I am able to, you know, see studies and interpret them well and uh, put together studies. You know, if I if I'm consulting with a company or something like that, we can actually put together the research studies and I have that background. But that's not you don't get that if you're not doing a PhD, like registered dietitians don't do that type of research training. Theirs is more practitioner focused. So their their training for a registered dietitian is going to be more focused on teaching you how to counsel patients one-on-one, oftentimes in more of a hospital setting because that's what a lot of the registered dietetics training is more focused on. Um, and it's it's not as rigorous uh, or it's it's it doesn't take as long. Um, and often not as demanding during the period of time that you're doing it. So if you get an RD, that's going to be, you know, bachelor's degree and a nine month internship, or now they just change the criteria to master's degree and nine month internship. Whereas a PhD is going to be, depending on the program, you're going to be doing four or five years of pretty intense work the entire time. Yeah, I think the easiest way to describe it to people too is one, a PhD by definition is the highest level of education you can receive on a particular topic, right? So if we rank degrees, which is even a stupid thing to do, but theoretically a PhD is the highest degree you can get in any specific topic. Okay. So that's one important thing to understand. Two, PhDs are producers of information right? Like most degrees are students as consumers of information in the sense that you take classes, they teach you information, you retain that information, you take tests and you pass tests based off specific information. That's how a bachelor works, a master's works, uh, a lot of medical school works that way. A lot of a PhD works that way too, because you take classes. But beyond that, you are trained to produce information, new information that hasn't been the, the novelty of some research can be questioned, right? There's usually one small little thing that's being tested or whatnot, but regardless, you are producing information. So when you ask people like, where'd you get that study from? Or like, who, who did this, right? It's people with PhDs who are actually conducting new research and discovering new things. I think the, the easiest way that I like to explain it is like, if you remember back in like, I don't know, second or third grade, when you took like your first science class and they made you do a, a science experiment. Right. And you would like have to formulate a hypothesis and you would then have to test it at home. And I remember like every year somebody would test or their hypothesis was that hot water would freeze faster than cold water, something like that. Right. Super silly. And you go home and you test it and then you share your findings with your third grade teacher or whatnot. A PhD is that at the highest level, essentially. Right. So you're, you have a question. Your question is based off of or formed based off of the available research in the topic, you form a hypothesis and then you test it under very controlled and rigorous conditions. And then you present your information and you publish research. So for those of you guys, again, listening, who don't understand what a PhD is, that is essentially what a PhD is. With that being said, (laughs) hopefully that, that, uh, adds a little bit of qualification to the stuff that we're going to talk about next. Adrian, the terms healthy, unhealthy, let's just dive into it. What do you like about them? What do you not like about them? Pros and cons. Let's start there. So uh, when it comes to healthy, I mean, as you mentioned, it, it is a valid term. Like you want to be 
healthy, you want to be eating a healthy diet. The, the trouble is when you start to label foods as healthy or unhealthy, and it's really healthy or unhealthy, inflammatory or not inflammatory. It's any black and white label that people place on individual foods that is just problematic when it comes to nutrition, because that's not the way that nutrition works. Individual foods are not healthy or unhealthy. It depends on how much you're eating. It depends on the context of your diet. It depends on your nutritional needs. You can take, uh, let's say, for example, watermelon for someone, uh, you know, massive serving of watermelon that's going to have a lot of glucose. That might be perfectly fine and one of the healthiest things that someone could possibly eat after, you know, exercising and, and you know, they need to replenish some of those glucose stores and glycogen stores. And But if you took someone who just overate a big meal and they have diabetes and they ate that watermelon, it's going to cause their blood sugar to just completely increase dramatically. And watermelon is a, you know, healthy food, quote unquote. Um, but it is not necessarily promoting health in this person. So the thing that I typically use, the terminology that I use is like health promoting. Um, and, and I think that's a little bit more accurate. What you're talking about is people who are using these, this terminology, it's almost like an automatic uh, indicator that this person doesn't have a very, you know, they don't have a good understanding of the topic overall. So when people start talking about this is healthy and this is unhealthy or this is inflammatory or this is not inflammatory or they they're talking about individual foods in that way and not describing them in the context of the overall diet they're not giving any nuance they're not saying hey this can be unhealthy under these circumstances you know but it can be perfectly fine if you eat it under these circumstances if they're not giving you that additional information and nuance and they're just providing you a very black and white explanation number one they probably don't ex understand nutrition very well or and or it's probably a combination of the two um they're just saying this for social media like just to go viral and get clicks and views on social media because unfortunately we want to be told that something is healthy or unhealthy like our brain prefers to be given a very clear answer and so when we see content that says, this is unhealthy, never eat it again, it, it, we kind of gravitate towards that psychologically. We're just going to move towards that like, oh, this is easy to understand versus, you know, Joey's content that's like, you know, this food is healthy under these, under these conditions and probably not the best thing under these conditions. That type of content isn't as attractive as never eat this again you know, this is a terrible food, never eat this again. So unfortunately, that part of it is, is you as a consumer, you have to be very mindful of just uh, avoiding that type of content that that is presented to you in that way, because that person is not educating you properly. It seems like they're, you know, oh, that was helpful. They told me what not to eat. But the reality is they're creating a list of foods that you're never going to eat again, or you're, you're told not to eat. And what ends up happening is people develop this long list of foods that, that they can't eat because someone told them that they were unhealthy or they shouldn't eat them for whatever reason. And and that's just hard to manage over time when you start taking away foods from your diet. It's hard to eat and build a healthy diet when when you don't when when your focus is on 
avoiding quote unquote unhealthy foods. Yeah, no, for sure. And I agree with you. The simplicity of labeling stuff as healthy or unhealthy is attractive to people because oftentimes people don't want to think, right? And that's just the, the harsh truth. So like they want black and white answers, but I think maybe it's also helpful to give a little bit more nuance why the word unhealthy specifically I have more of an issue with saying this food is unhealthy than with saying this food is healthy, obviously, for obvious reasons, right? And I think we can argue that all foods can have some health-promoting properties in specific contexts. Some foods have health-promoting uh, properties in pretty much every context. Mm -hmm. um, but the word unhealthy specifically, the one reason I don't like it is, one, as you mentioned at the beginning, you cannot isolate a specific food and isolate it from the context of the entire diet because that's not the way our body works. That's not the way physiology works. There is no food that's going to have an inherent, very negative impact on your health in any given context. Okay. I think you could argue that some nutrients or some compounds will always have an, a potential negative impact on health. But foods themselves have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of different compounds and some and all foods really have some properties that can positively impact health, right? So there's no food that one overall is just unhealthy, period, that you should never eat. That doesn't exist. And then in addition to that, foods that both you and I can agree, Adrian, that maybe you shouldn't eat a ton of or including your diet very frequently can still have some positive impacts on overall health in specific contexts. I was actually just writing a script for a video on this. Like, for example, I think you and I would agree that eating a ton of Chick-fil-A sauce is probably not a good idea, right? It's like a fat-based sauce. It's pretty sweet. But if, if using some Chick-fil-A sauce to lightly uh, dip some broccoli in means that you eat veggies and you wouldn't eat veggies otherwise, in that context, that sauce is probably having an overall net positive impact on your health, um, especially if you're watching your caloric intake and not overconsuming calories, right? I made a video, probably was last week, um, about diet soda. And I, I will admit, like, I definitely use clickbait first lines, but then I give some, some nuance after. But it's because just people will watch it. There's no, like, clickbait sentence, man. It's crazy. Like... You got to say something kind of ridiculous for people to watch the whole thing, right? But I made a video saying diet soda is healthy. And then people went crazy in the comments. And they're saying, how can you say this? How can you say that? Whatever. A lot of the arguments are fairly ridiculous. I then explain in the context that diet sodas can help reduce your consumption of added sugars or sweetened beverages. It's probably going to have a net positive impact on your health. You can argue that in that context, it's healthy. Diet soda is also over like 95% water. <laughs> so you're getting like a good hydrating benefit as well, man. And people just like have such a hard time conceptualizing that. And I don't know why. Uh, I, I think from the perspective of if you haven't worked with people and you just have like if you're just looking at so like because a lot of people make content on social media and they've never worked with anyone and so yeah. they're a lot of the information that they're putting out is like idealistic 
It's like, oh, yeah, never eat this. And yeah, that's that's great. But when you actually work with people, you realize this is unrealistic. People aren't going to be able to live like this. They're not going to be able to maintain this type of ideal diet that you conceptualize in your head that is like, quote unquote, optimal human diet. You know, there's people posting dumb stuff like that on there. Like there's there's a guy that he he posts this thing that's like, this is the optimal human diet. It's like, no, it's not. Like the there's so many people that are making these types of claims and and it's just stuff that is unrealistic. It's not doable. And these people are idiots most of the time anyway. The stuff that they're promoting is just stupid. Um, and so that's number one. But uh, you know, just the realistic side of things is where a lot of people, you know, miss. They don't understand and and you and I and other practitioners, people who work with people, communicate completely differently. Like you can see it. You can see the difference between people who work with actual humans and people who don't and who just make social media content and talk about optimal human diet. There's a massive difference. And then a lot of people see your content and they're like, oh, this guy's and and you know other people's content who are who are promoting more balanced approach. And they think, oh, these people are promoting unhealthy foods. I see this guy promoting all this stuff. And and they just don't. It's it's easy to see that content and think, oh, this is the right way without understanding the context of like, oh, that's yeah, that's a cool way to eat. But people aren't going to actually do that if you tell them to do that. And people are just going to follow this guy on social media. And some people will do it, but most people aren't going to stick to that. And the people that do do it aren't going to stick to it long term. You know, all these people following the animal based diets where they just eat meat and fruit four years from now, nobody's going to be following that diet, especially when they go to their doctor and their LDLs 250. Um, like nobody's going to be continuing to follow those those fads. Um, but, you know, it's it's interesting to see. And, and it, you know, it, it gets people's attention. Hey guys, some of you may not know that I'm the scientific advisor for a supplement company called Outwork Nutrition. I help with the formulation of new products to help ensure that they're effective and backed by science. Unlike many other supplement companies out there, we don't rely on exaggerated claims or flashy marketing tactics. Instead, we let the science speak for itself. We take pride in formulating products that deliver real results, helping you achieve your fitness goals in a meaningful way. If you're in the market for supplements like protein powder, pre-workout, or recovery products, make sure to check us out at outworknutrition.com. And as a thank you for being an avid listener of this podcast, use code Joey for an exclusive discount at checkout. You can find the link to our website down in the description of this podcast episode. Remember, our goal is to empower you with science-backed supplements that truly make a difference. Choose Outwork Nutrition and elevate your fitness to new heights. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that point where you were mentioning in terms of like contextualizing it or, or thinking of things from a realistic perspective, like what actually happens with human behavior. Because you're right, a lot of these people who create content, and by the way, I don't think they're lying either. Like if this person who says, this is the optimal human diet and they show the way they eat every day. And it's mainly like, I don't know, these select number of foods. That person probably eats that way. You also have to understand that one, their diet is not optimal, as you mentioned, because I think it's, it's important to emphasize that. But two, like that person is an anomaly. They enjoy living their life in that fashion and eating in that way. That is not most people, right? Because when I talk about like, hey, drinking diet soda could help people 
uh, curb cravings for things that have added sugars, which can have a net positive impact on overall caloric intake, which can help with weight loss. And we know the reported benefits of losing weight if you have excess adiposity. And then people just comment and they're like, why don't you just drink water? And it just like the level of ignorance is so funny because first off, that person is probably somebody who just naturally maybe doesn't have much of a sweet tooth, maybe is fine with only drinking water. They don't understand why somebody would um, drink Diet Coke, right? Uh, two, it's just like such an ignorant comment because that's the same as like telling that person like, why aren't you a millionaire? You know, it's like, it's just like people, like human behavior is so complex. And to say, why don't you just do this? It's such an easy argument to just direct back towards you. You know, like, it's funny. It's just, it doesn't make any sense, man. But, you know, in, in real life, human behavior is complex. And I feel like some, sometimes people can almost screw themselves over because they want to do what they think is ideal versus just doing what's good enough, right? Like, are you and I going to argue that um, drinking diet soda is better than drinking water? No, I'm not going to argue that, right? Can you make some solid arguments that it's probably better to just drink water? Sure, you can probably make some solid arguments for that. But is that enough of an argument to say, like, how dare you say that diet soda can have some health promoting properties? It's not zero it's not like 100% health, uh, health promoting or not at all, right? There's balance there. And if somebody has unhealthy behaviors and you can implement some of these little strategies, essentially, that may not be the healthiest in an isolated context, but they can still help that person improve. They have health promoting benefits, right? And people, like I was saying, shoot themselves in the foot with trying to be perfect. When if you just try to be good enough, and follow simple overall dietary patterns. I know I'm going in probably a million different directions here, but it's, it's because all these things are really intertwined, you know? Um, yeah. I you know what, you know what I wanted to add in there? Um, as you mentioned, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples of people who have switched from regular soda to diet soda and lost a bunch of weight just doing that. Like there are yeah. so many examples. I can't, every time, I've done a post on this or, or you've done a post or I've seen a post with a lot of comments. It's you'll see people comment saying, you know, I thank you. I switched to regular soda yeah. to diet soda uh, and I lost 15 pounds just with that. And it's like that was pretty healthy for this person. Yeah. Uh, and the 15 pound weight loss is in addition to the reduction in blood sugar fluctuations that were occurring from consuming the soda as well. So. You know, that's that's something that is is it's healthy in that context. And that's just what you were mentioning is if someone's going from water to diet soda. Yeah, that's probably not a healthy choice or not a healthier choice. But if someone is going from regular soda to diet soda and being able to communicate, hey, it's OK to drink diet soda. It's not a big deal in terms of your health. There's no evidence to show that it has a negative impact. Um, that's important. Because there's a lot of people saying, oh, diet soda is worse than regular soda. And then people continue to drink regular soda and it's having a negative impact on their health. That's having a negative impact on their health is uh, the misinformation that is causing them to make a bad choice. Yeah, totally. It's it's definitely super nuanced. You know, it's funny because this also ties into some of the other um, 
type of messaging that goes around the term of foods being unhealthy, whether it's like the processing method or the specific nutrients that are found, right? The, the processing one, I know you and I have talked about a ton, but it's like with seed oils, that's a big one, right? Like industrial processing, like first off, it's not like the term industrial processing is just like a bad term to use because it's not accurate, but they're, they're mainly referring to the use of like, um, uh, different steps that involve different chemicals to help purify the particular compound, right? It's like, if only you knew the type of processing that you're drinking water goes, that's one that I like to bring up. It's like a lot of the water that we drink used to be sewer water, literally used to have feces in it. And you can like, seriously, right? Like when you say it that way, it's like, it's like, do you understand just like the degree of processing that that water has to go through to then be clean drinking water? It's pretty drastic, right? It involves several complex steps. And if you took that same, that same process and applied it to something else, somebody would say that that's, you know, overly processed and it's bad or whatnot. And then drinking water, we're like, oh, this is water. It's natural. And yes, it is water and it is natural, but it's also gone through a bunch of processing. Right. So it's also the, the fear mongering that goes around the term unhealthy. It's not just even the term unhealthy itself, because it's usually being bombarded with it's unhealthy because it's processed. It's unhealthy because of these chemicals. It's unhealthy because it's unnatural. It has inflammatory omega-6 fats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's the, it, it's just this term is not going to be used to describe foods by anyone who is well-educated in nutrition. Like someone's not going to say this food is unhealthy, don't eat it. Um, you're just not going to see that. And if you're seeing that and people are using that type of communication style, this person is probably not someone you want to be taking advice from. Uh, there's just so many people that are, are, they can make themselves sound very like well-informed and they, they communicate well, they repeat things that they've heard very well, and they can get on social media and make it seem very convincing that they have a very, you know, some information that is useful and interesting for you. But if someone's using this terminology, if they're saying, hey, this is unhealthy, don't eat it. And they're use they're describing foods in that way. Just it's just not someone you want to be taking advice from uh, when it comes to nutrition. There's there's better sources out there. Yeah. So if the term, you know, because I'm, I'm trying to think now from the perspective of like somebody who's listening to this, who is trying to improve their overall health and they're listening to us talk and they're like well if there's no such thing as a healthy or an unhealthy food now i'm even more confused because what should i eat right i think that's a natural question that comes next because when you have it's it's easy to be very confident in something when you have very little information right and then i forget what what's this called it's like something paradox or something like that but then you have a it's like the more information you get, the more confused you feel, right? At least initially, because you're just like at the tip of the iceberg and there's a lot of information to know. And then over time, you have some more expertise and you still have questions, but you feel more confident in what you're doing, right? So for somebody who's listening and they're just like, man, what are you guys talking about? What do you mean there's no such thing as healthy or unhealthy foods? What are some tips that you would give to that person in terms of how should they think about food? and how can they have an overall healthy diet if there's no such thing as healthy or unhealthy foods? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, when it comes to food, I look at it as like a spectrum. You know, some foods are more nutritious and others are less nutritious. And so I kind of look at it that way as well is like, is this food helping me to meet my nutrient needs? And when you said, you know, what is a healthy diet uh, and the way that I view a healthy diet is a diet that's meeting your nutrient needs um, in terms of energy, protein, micronutrients, important micronutrients, and then also includes, I always throw this one on because I think it's important, is like includes plenty of foods that like have been shown in the research to reduce your risk of chronic disease. So things like broccoli, uh, nuts and seeds, because those, you know, they're not necessary to meet your nutrient needs. Um, like you can get by and meet your micronutrient needs pretty well without including those foods in. Um, but the research is pretty clear, like eating more broccoli, eating more mushrooms, eating more tomatoes, eating more nuts and seeds, like all of these foods have pretty strong positive associations in every study that's ever been done, essentially, yeah. uh, with like lower rates of cancer, heart disease, those type of things. So that's the way that I uh, tend to approach nutrition. And I always recommend people kind of figure out your calorie and protein needs first um, and and start tracking your calories. If you feel comfortable with that to kind of figure out, you know, where you are now versus where you should be in terms of your calorie and protein needs, because that's the important first piece. And a lot of people think, oh, I don't want to track my calories and protein. I don't want to like be a bodybuilder. You know, a lot of people associate that with like you know, just that type of approach to fitness and health, but tracking your calories for a period of time is so informative. And uh, I don't recommend it from the perspective of like, this is something you have to do forever. It's, it's a learning experience of learning how to portion foods correctly and how to fuel yourself properly because, uh, you know, food is energy and it's like the gas that you're putting into a gas tank. If you have absolutely no idea how much gas you're putting into your car, you're probably not going to be able to fuel it properly. And that's what a lot of people are doing. You have no idea how much how much energy you need or how much you're eating. And then you're wondering why you're sometimes feeling like, you know, low blood sugar and, and low energy and fatigued and, and other times feeling like overly full. And it's, it's, for a lot of people, it's just because you have no idea how much energy you're eating on a day-to-day -day basis and a meal-to-meal -meal basis and it's really helpful to kind of get situated around that and track your calories for a period of time and and build out a routine that works for you that meets your energy needs um, and then if you do that and you're tracking your calories you can see your micronutrient intake um, the most important thing when it comes to nutrition is just uh, trying to uh, eat most of your diet from minimally processed foods so like uh Whole, whole grains, nuts, seeds, fruits, vegetables, meats, eggs, you know, dairy, um, you know, the, the people will say like the one ingredient foods. Um, if you're building your diet mostly around minimally processed foods, and we talked about processing, like processing isn't a bad thing. The thing is, when foods are processed, they're often processed in order to create foods that are just extremely easy to overeat that are high in added oils, added sugars, uh, added flavors and colorings and things like that that just cause you to want to eat a whole bunch of them. And so if you're eating a lot of these ultra processed foods, you're probably going to overeat and you're probably not going to meet your nutrient needs properly. And so that's when it becomes problematic. So people always ask me like, are processed foods harmful? And I always say like, as long as you're meeting your energy and nutrient needs and you know, 
they're fine to include on top of that as long as you're able to do that in a in a healthy way um but for a lot of people if you're including let's say 30 percent of your diet is coming from ultra processed foods you're probably going to be overeating and you're probably going to be eating too much sugar not enough fiber not enough of a wide variety of micronutrients because processed foods just are not they're food-like products that are designed and created to sell a bunch of product to you and they're not necessarily meant to meet your nutritional needs and so you know they're great they taste good they can help you know kind of stay consistent with your diet and not feel like you're craving things and including a variety of different you know processed foods into your diet is something that i do um to like kind of stay consistent with things but uh i just don't overdo it <laughs> and i'm mindful about you know building my diet mostly around unprocessed foods kind of hit around the same amount of calories and protein on a day-to-day -day basis and, and try to eat you know lots of fruits and vegetables and plenty of fiber and that type of thing yeah i agree with you that probably the most powerful nutritional change that somebody can make is to really take a hard look at their overall diet and see like how can i eat less of the processed food right and like you explained perfectly again it's not that processed foods are inherently unhealthy it's just that they one do not provide much nutritional value so again as adrian said a healthy diet should meet your nutrient needs so if a food isn't nutrient rich it's not going to really be pro providing you the essential nutrients that you need and two they're very easy to overconsume in terms of caloric content because they tend to be very calorically dense and they they for the most part are high in a combination of sugar fat and sodium right and there's other variables like texture and mouthfeel but those are the the main three nutrients that are overly like abundantly rich in these foods and that combination essentially creates a flavor bomb that's hard to stop eating right like if you think about anything that comes in a box that is crunchy and crispy like chips or cheeses or is uh sweet perhaps right like a lot of name brand cereals why do you think it's so much easier to eat lucky charms versus oatmeal right it's it's a very similar food theoretically but it's not it's not because it's a lot easier to overconsume because of the sugar it's sweet it's tasty right so it's like these foods are just very hard to to or very easy i should say to overdo and i think adrian you and i both agree and it's not you and i agree the scientific literature agrees that excess caloric consumption especially if you are overweight it's probably the number one thing negatively impacting overall health independent of food choices, right? So that's why when Adrian says the most important thing is your energy needs, both uh, your nutrient needs, I should say, both energy needs and nutrient needs being macro and micronutrient needs being the most important thing. And he hasn't even talked about specific foods. It's because those things are the things that matter. Like if you meet those requirements, what foods you include in your diet matters but not nearly as much, right? And then Adrian, you were, you were touching on the concept of functional foods, right? That there are certain foods that have health promoting benefits beyond just its caloric content or the fact that it's a minimally processed foods. And, and this really comes, realistically, if we talk about unprocessed plant-based foods, they all tend to have some of these unique benefits 
some really more than others. So the ones that are really fiber rich are probably a good idea to include in your diet regularly. Not probably. It is a good idea to include in your diet regularly. Um, any sort of bean, fantastic. If you can consume them regularly, whole grains. Uh, and talking about processed foods, if you can buy processed foods that are high fiber versions of the original food, even better. Like, dude, I just bought some oatmeal that for 140 calories, you get 10 grams of fiber. That's crazy, right? Like that's, that's great. Cause I, I have a hard time getting, I want to get at least 35, 40 grams of fiber a day. And it's hard to get that much. This oatmeal, I have a pack first thing in the morning helps me get 10 of the 40, super simple. So processing can also be very beneficial. Um, I think one thing that I think would be very good to answer is how does somebody know or like what what are some of the variables to like assess in yourself if you have if you have a question or have a doubt as to whether your diet is healthy and i know it, it goes into some of the things that we were just talking about but just very practical advice right like are you overweight are you deficient in anything like very simple variables to look at yeah i mean uh if you're if you're overweight and you're if you're just not feeling good about uh, your energy your the way that you feel on a day-to-day basis i mean most people know i mean if you're not being mindful with your nutrition choices you're probably not eating a nutritious diet because the foods that are easiest to consume are not the ones that are going to meet your nutrient needs the ones that you know things that you can buy at fast food restaurants and things like that and and going out to eat like you're you're just not going to be able to meet your nutrient needs in most cases so i would say like I mean, and, and no one listening to this is probably hitting that, like in terms of like, if you're being mindful, then you, you're probably, or like, if you're not being mindful, then you probably need to be, uh, and you, you need to start like yeah. paying attention to it and, and being more mindful. And when you said, um, you know, in terms of like healthy diet, you know, if you have a health issue, there's a possibility that nutrition can play a role. If you're overweight, if you have type two diabetes, if you have high cholesterol, if you have high blood pressure, if you have a digestive issue, if you have an autoimmune condition, there's a high likelihood that nutrition, um, nutritional changes can improve your condition to a certain extent, depending on the disease, depending on how severe it is, depending on the progression of it, depending on what you're eating now, um, will determine how much. But in many cases, you know, nutrition can really probably one of the most powerful interventions for a lot of these, a lot of these health conditions. And, um, so if you're dealing with any of that stuff, uh, seeking wise nutritional changes around that is definitely going to be important. Um, now in in terms of, you know, just the average person, I I think it's just really important to be really focused on diet for, you know, quote unquote longevity, uh, from an early age, because, uh, you know, this is, nutrition um is something that we develop patterns around and you know the quicker you can develop a healthier dietary pattern the more uh, the longer term you're going to be able to benefit from that and so you know really focusing on some of the stuff that we just talked about of you know making sure that you're eating the right amount of calories especially if you're overweight or underweight you know a lot of people um you know think it's just about losing weight i've worked with a lot of clients who I have them track their calories to eat more because they just have a tendency to be a little bit underweight and there's negative health effects associated with being underweight. There's low, you know, excess uh, muscle mass loss with aging and excess frailty, uh, lower or higher likelihood of osteoporosis and, and other, you know, negative health outcomes. So, you know, you, you want to be eating enough. And so that doesn't mean, um, 
you know, tracking your calories isn't about forcing yourself to eat too little. It's about making sure that you're fueling yourself appropriately. And I highly recommend that for a lot of people. I know, Joey, you talk about that quite a bit. But if you're listening to this and haven't done it, I would recommend, you know, spending some time really situating or like calculating your energy needs and then and then tracking your calories to understand uh, what's going on there and what your current dietary patterns are relative to what you need to be consuming. Um, and that's really, really helpful. And, and if you have some questions about, you know, is my current diet, you know, meeting my needs, that's probably the best way to answer that for yourself. Are you tired of spending countless hours grocery shopping, cooking and preparing your meals? I get it. Time is precious. And that's where Icon Meals comes into play. I've partnered with Icon Meals to bring you delicious, macro-friendly, and high-protein meals that will make it easier than ever for you to achieve your fitness goals. I understand that you may have hesitations over the cost of a meal prep service compared to cooking food at home. But let's face it, how often do you spend more money eating out because you didn't have time to prepare your food at home anyways? With Icon Meals, you not only save time, but you invest in your health. These meals are carefully crafted to be healthier and more in line with your fitness goals than most of the food that you eat out anyways. So why wait? Visit IconMeals.com and explore their wide array of mouth-watering meals. And as a special bonus for listening to this podcast, use code JOSEPH10 at checkout for a special discount off of your order. By the way, you can find all of the necessary links in the description of this podcast. Don't let time be a barrier to your success. Choose Icon Meals and fuel your journey towards a healthier, fitter you. Yes, and I also wanted to talk about this from like the opposite perspective too, because you mentioned, you know, if people are, are thinking about that question, is my diet healthy? Um, they're probably in a position where their diet probably isn't that healthy. I think that's a fair assumption to make. I think there's also people who are healthy and then just like hyper obsess over little things that probably won't have any measurable positive impact on health. And that's where I was thinking about it too, because like, listen, if you, um, if you have a healthy body composition, you're not under muscle, you don't have high visceral fat, you don't have high amounts of, if you don't have glycemic dysregulation or high blood lipids, your health related markers are fine. If you get some blood work done and you're not really deficient in any nutrient, right? If you're not deficient in anything, um, if you enjoy your diet, you probably have a really healthy diet for your, for your goals and your lifestyle, right? Given again, as I mentioned that you enjoy your diet, you do not, you do not need to cut out stuff that may be slightly unhealthy in your diet. Like if you meet all the criteria that I just mentioned. And you enjoy eating potato chips, Lay's potato chips or Cheetos or whatever it is. I don't know, three times a week with your dinner. Cutting that out is not going to have any measurable positive impact on your health, right? And I, I really want to emphasize this because people, again, individual food choices do not matter nearly that much. And in some contexts, they don't matter. I'll say it plainly. Like in that context, it probably doesn't matter, right? So for those of you that are like, man, I don't have any health issues, but like, can my diet even be healthier? Perhaps if you're not including some of the functional foods that we were discussing and just having, but if, if you're covering your basis, like the likelihood of, of you having a quote unquote non-healthy diet and being okay on all those markers is very low unless you're very young, right? But if you're not very young, so you're in your thirties, your forties, your fifties, 
if you're marking those boxes, you don't have high blood lipids, you don't have glycemic issues, glycemic regulation issues, you don't have an issue with adiposity, you're not under muscle, you're happy with your body composition, um, you probably tick all the boxes, right? You probably are eating plenty of most of the stuff that you should be eating. And like, there's no need to hyperfixate on specific things because you think they're quote unquote unhealthy. And in reality, some of those foods that you think are unhealthy may actually be contributing to you having an overall healthy diet because enjoyment is, is important, right? Like let's say people, people tend not to think about like second order or third order consequences of, of behaviors, right? They just think like, oh, I have potato chips with my dinner. Potato chips are high in sodium and fat and like I shouldn't eat those things. Okay, let's say you cut it out. Now we can probably agree that those potato chips added a ton of enjoyment to your dinner. So you enjoyed your dinner. It wasn't miserable, right? And two, also you ate more calories. So you had a bigger meal. It was probably more satiating. And now let's say you eliminate that and like you have dinner at seven and you go to sleep at 10 p.m. And now you find that like at 9.30 p.m. every day, you're like hungry and craving stuff. And now you're like resort to something else. And that could be a byproduct of you cutting out the stuff that you said that you needed to cut out for X arbitrary reason, right? So also think about it in that way. Like sometimes these unhealthy foods, like I have a piece of chocolate pretty much every day. Um, and I would argue that for me, that's a very healthy behavior because it curbs my cravings for sweet stuff and I really enjoy it and I'm happy with my body composition. So how can you argue that that is unhealthy because it has sugar and added fat, right? It's just silly. So I, I wanted to talk about it from that perspective too. Yeah. And a quick story. So like I personally... I did that like in my 20s I was super like meticulous about everything that I ate I was like would not eat processed food for a while and I know from firsthand experience like I was less healthy than than I am now and as you mentioned the second and third order consequences of like it was hard for me to go to other people's houses and not be like oh my god look at this food I, I don't want to have to eat that and like I'd be all in my head about things and wouldn't enjoy myself and and uh that is if you're in that space I highly 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 recommend uh working to move yourself away from that because it's not where you want to be it's not promoting yeah. your health I would yeah I didn't eat potato like I didn't eat a bunch of stuff that I eat now and definitely live the lifestyle that is extremely like much more restrictive than than I do now and uh, my performance in the gym is better. I'm more athletic. Like I'm literally more athletic 10 years later than I was at that point because I was just so like, if you don't eat processed food and you're is active and, you know, I'm six, one, you know, active, I need 3,200 calories or, you know, so just to maintain my weight, um, if you're not eating processed food, that's hard to get, you know? And I was just like eating nonstop hungry all the time. Uh, you know, I, and, and so, yeah, I, I, definitely been there and from firsthand experience can say like uh, easing up had a positive impact on my health in so many ways yeah. like from a social standpoint from a enjoyment standpoint from a not having to worry about what I was eating all the time standpoint like for example um, let's say I had a travel day and I was going to be on a plane and then in a car I'd be like oh my god how am I going to get my food like I'm going to there's not going to be a healthy restaurant and I just yeah. like you know kind of worry about it more and now like I don't even care like whatever you know I happen to eat like it's not yeah. a big deal 
um, one of the things I mentioned or one of the things I've uh, said on my pod or not on my podcast on my Instagram, I made a post like this uh, several times. People tend to really appreciate is that we eat over a thousand meals, like eleven hundred meals a year. So let's say you ate a hundred meals that were just extremely unhealthy. That's less than one percent of your total diet over the year. If you ate a hundred no, meals, less than ten percent. Yeah, hundred out of a thousand. Okay, less than ten percent. <laughs> I was thinking 1100 and then I added another zero there somewhere in my head, less than 10%. Um, So let's say you ate 50 like really unhealthy meals. You ate one a week. Like that's 5% of your total diet. The other 95% is what matters, not the 5%. And a lot of people get hyper fixated on trying to perfect that 100% where in the reality, if you get 90%, and 90% is really dialed in, that other 10% is going to matter almost no amount. And yeah. my recommendation is use that for enjoyment and use that to make to make it, um, you know, living a healthy lifestyle much more sustainable and enjoyable. Yeah, man, you know, I used to be similar in the sense that I would try to be really strict about my diet, um, especially when I was younger, probably around, I don't know, 19, 20 years old around there when that's again, like the, the false confidence of thinking we know a lot when we really don't know anything. Right. And I was like, I was getting super into like bodybuilding and stuff like that. Not super into bodybuilding. Cause I've never been super into bodybuilding, but I cared about like building muscle and being lean and all that stuff, which I still do, but I was way more obsessed with it before. And then I stopped being obsessed because I realized I wasn't that good at it. But, but, um, all jokes aside, uh, you know, I would go home like from college, man, and just like get to my mom's house and not want to eat anything she made. And she was like, what do you mean? You don't want to eat the food that you've grown up eating your entire life. Like I didn't want to eat white rice. It's like, I'm Cuban. I eat white rice and black beans with like every meal, you know? (laughs) And it was like, oh no, I don't want to eat rice. And my mom just made like this whole dish of like a mixed rice with chicken and veggies. That's absolutely delicious. And like. Overall, super healthy diet. And I didn't want to eat it because I thought rice was bad. Just like, I don't need simple carbs. It's just like so silly. Like it just like adds stress and friction to your life. That's completely unnecessary. Um, I think you and I are fortunate that we've been, you know, working through this for a long time. And it's something we've been mindful of for a long time. But I also understand why it's difficult for people who are starting off because it was difficult for us at one point too, in terms of just like being confused about what to eat and what not to eat, right? And you mentioned something that I think was really powerful of like now, like, cause I used to think about this too. Oh, if I'm going on a trip, like I need to figure out what food I'm bringing or like, because you know, if I go somewhere and there's only pizza, like I'm just going to be hungry cause I'm not going to eat that. And you're just like thinking about food choices the whole time. And it's so silly and, and like nonsensical, but a lot of people fall into that type of thinking. It's like now I, you know, don't, don't think about it at all. And you know, it's just quite easy to make healthy choices at pretty much everywhere too. Like it's okay to have a calorically dense meal if you're eating out fast food or whatnot, but you can also stay like making pretty healthy food choices. Even if you're going to McDonald's, like just get some veggies and get some meat. Like it's really that simple, right? If you want to. Yeah. Or just pick something that has a good amount of fiber, a good amount of, of protein, uh, and just pick some whole foods, right? Like I often tell people, if you want a fast food place, just get the burger. You don't need fries and the milkshake on the side, you know, 
um, something simple like that, or you can get a salad and just like not add all the dressing. If you're going to places like Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, or any of options too, and you don't have to be hyper fixating on the fact that like it's processed or where did the meat come from? Or those are like, uh, you know, those aren't organic veggies. Like just don't worry about any of that stuff. Just focus on minimally processed foods, get some fiber, get some variety, get some protein. You can pretty much do that anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, and going back to what you said, um, in terms of like traveling, uh, what I normally do, and I, I get asked this question a lot. It's like, uh, I just, I try to focus still on just like calories and protein as well. So I just yeah. try to get enough protein. And like, if I have one big meal, I just try to have a smaller meal, like uh, another time yeah, in exactly. the day. Like if I'm going to have like one, you know, I went, I went on a trip recently and, um, person I was with, they wanted like fried chicken for lunch. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have a little bit of that. Have, have some coleslaw with a couple of pieces of chicken. Um, not going to have like macaroni and fries. I don't want to have all that. That's going to be like 2000 calories. If, if you do. And, and then I'll just have, you know, a little bit of a lighter meal later or not. And, you know, it's fine. <laughs> like not a big deal nowadays now that, um, you know, I've let go of all of that, you know, just being overly meticulous about nutrition and, and it just, it's so much easier to, to live life. And it's, it's, that's, that's the important piece, you know, yeah. uh, is like. I've seen so many people and worked with so many people who through trying to improve their nutrition have like negatively affected all other aspects of their life. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's not what, that's not what you want to happen. Yeah, for sure. And you know, you mentioned something important too, like it's okay to have a bigger meal if you're mindful and then just have a smaller meal later. Um, it's the issue is that like people also need to, look at their overall lifestyle because that tends to be a bigger contributing factor. Like it's not the one bad meal that you had. It's the fact that like you do this multiple times a week, right? So it's important to have some structure on overall healthy lifestyle too, because people don't want to admit what big of an impact their environment has on their food choices. Like, Man, I could be a glutton sometimes. Like if I go to a Mexican place and they put chips and salsa, like, again, I don't worry about it, but I'm, I'm going to eat chips and salsa and I'm going to eat probably a good amount of it. Like I mindfully, I'm like, damn, I shouldn't have more as I'm eating more. Right. Cause like, that's just what I do. And I was actually just talking to a client, uh, earlier this week about this too. Like the reason why that's not an issue for me is cause like, I don't put myself in that environment too frequently, but if you put yourself in that environment very frequently then that behavior is going to have a net negative impact on your health, right? So it's also considering like, what sort of lifestyle do you live? What environments are you putting yourself in? How frequently? Because me and Adrian saying like, hey, if I travel, I don't really worry about it. We can only say that because the majority of the time we're not doing that, right? But if you are doing that super, super frequently, like it, it's tough to have these conversations with clients too, man, because like, you know, I'll start working with a client. I'm sure you've experienced this as well. And like, they have a, a weekend trip uh, for something family related. What should I do nutrition wise? Hey, don't worry about it too much. Just focus on your protein, focus on this uh, and just enjoy it. It's just a weekend. Okay, cool. The weekend passes. It's done. Hey, next weekend, there's something else. Now they're going for another weekend trip. And hey, two weeks after that, there's something else. And so like when that becomes the norm and I'm not telling everybody to live a boring life where you don't travel and anything like that, but understand that it, 
it makes it more difficult. And you can't just say, well, I'm not going to worry about it because it's not that big of a deal. Frequency really matters. Frequency really matters, right? So like I probably have a huge meal that I go overboard on calories, like well over probably six, seven, 800 calories in that meal easily once a week. But like throughout the week, Monday through Friday, I just eat the same breakfast, lunch, and dinner because I'm hella busy with work. And like, then I got to spend a little bit of time with my son and like, I'm probably in a calorie deficit a little bit throughout the week. And then on the weekend, I eat a little bit more. So people need to contextualize that too. I was going to say something else, but I forgot what other points you brought up. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, the other thing that I was, uh, wanted to mention, and you talked about the traveling and, and, you know, kind of not worrying about it. Yeah. I don't worry about it, but I also, um, I have a, like I have a approach when I travel, I have a strategy. Like I wake up and I exercise every day cause I like exercising and I like moving. And so regardless of whether or not I'm traveling, I'm still moving. And then I'm going to do things that are just more active. Like when I'm traveling, I'm going to be hiking. I'm going to be walking around the city. I'm probably like, people don't like traveling with me cause I end up walking like 15 miles in a day or something stupid. It's Bro, that's me too. When I go somewhere with my walking wife, because, like yeah, because if you do that, then all the impact of extra, you know, food and extra calories is going to be put to good use. And so, and plus I like, just like to see the city from, you know, on foot. I feel like if you go to a new city, yeah. you get to see it a little differently if you see things on foot. So, um, you know, I, when you say don't worry about it, it's not that it's not worrying about it. It's like, having different strategies and approaches that you feel very comfortable with that work for you. And, and it's all centered around what we said earlier of like making sure that it meets protein, calorie and micronutrient needs. And even when traveling, um, one of the things that I do, I, I basically, I go to the grocery store, I buy a bunch of fruit, I buy protein sources, yogurt, protein shakes, whatever, and a bunch of water. And that's usually my breakfast. That's you. That's all any snacks in between meals. And that just holds me over. And I have, you know, a big meal usually for dinner, sometimes a big meal for lunch. And then outside of that, it's just a couple protein shakes, some fruit, some water. And that yeah. usually oftentimes I go travel and I'm like, I'm either the same or sometimes a little bit like I'll lose a little bit of weight because I'm not snacking at all, except for like have a protein shake here and there. Um, and I only have two meals typically when I'm, when I'm traveling, just cause I don't even like going out for breakfast anyway. I prefer cooking breakfast at home. I'm like, anytime I go out for breakfast, I feel like I got ripped off. I'm like, I just spent Dude, 40 bucks on like what I could have made at home, like for like two fifty. Um, but, but you know, just having strategies and approaches that work for you and that are just flexible and, and they, that, you know, help you to, to stay consistent, but not feel too restricted and restrained and, and like you're have to give up your life in order to be healthy because you shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember the thing I wanted to touch on too, you mentioned, you know, if you go out, like you mentioned, you went out with a friend, had some fried chicken, you're not going to have the mac and cheese and all that stuff. Cause you know, it's super calorically dense and you don't want to go way overboard. And I feel like some people inherently thinking are like, yeah, that's great, but I don't have any self-control like that. Like when I'm in those situations, I can't, I can't, um, have control over how much I eat. So I rather just not do it at all. And the irony there that sometimes people don't understand is that one of the reasons you feel like you don't have self-control is because you tell yourself you don't and you try to avoid those foods at all costs, right? Whereas like, if you are making, and again, 
I'm not going to speak for everyone because I'm sure there are some exceptions to what I'm about to say. And I'm sure there are some individuals who perhaps have certain behaviors that are unhealthy with regard to food that stem from somewhere else besides what I'm saying, right? Uh, I think some people do obviously struggle with food addiction, but this is a little bit different than that. But if you are approaching food choices from like, I'm going to eat this way because I'm choosing to do so, not because I can't eat these foods, right? I'm intentionally choosing to limit how much of that I eat because I care about my health. If I really wanted some mac and cheese, I would have it. I'm not telling myself I can't have mac and cheese. But if I think about it, you know, I've been traveling. I've been in the car for eight hours today. I haven't really walked much. It doesn't make sense to get another 500 calories in mac and cheese. So today I'm going to skip out on it. Next time, if I was more active and I want some mac and cheese, I might have some. That type of thought process, not that you have to think that way every time you're, you're eating food, but it just like empowers you to make the choices you want to make versus having this internal battle of like, I want that I can't, I want that I can't. It's the I can't that, that really is harmful. Yep. Uh, and I'm as, this is probably the most like frou-frou type of stuff that I talk about, but language does matter. Language does matter, right? Like simply changing from saying, I can't have that to, I choose to not have as much of that. It's a very different approach in the term, in, in, at least in the way that you think about food and you interact with food. And I say frou-frou because that's like, uh, I don't know, I feel like people talk about like manifestation and like, uh, I choose this and, uh, words it, of encouragement. <laughs> the the other side of the and this is something that really helped me with control because I'm like you like I love food. I mean, I can just yeah. eat, this, this is why I got into this field. Like, I can just eat and eat. Like, I I love food, and if you put delicious food in front of me, I will eat a lot of it. Yeah. Um. So one of the things that helped me because I used to have a really hard time like not overeating in certain environments. Um. Couple things. Number one, like knowing that I'm going to be able to eat that food again. So like with the mac and cheese, it's not like this is my last time I ever get a chance to have mac and cheese. Like I had mac and cheese the day before. That's why it was easy for me to skip it. Uh, and, and then the other side of it is like, how do I want to feel after I have this meal? And so that's another one that's really helped me is like, yeah, I can have the mac and cheese. But then if I eat 2000 calories right now and I'm traveling on vacation, you know, trying to have a good time and um is that going to allow me to feel the way that I want to feel for the rest of the day? Probably not. And so um, those things really helped me with like the lack of self-control, quote unquote, because I I've, I think I had that for a long time of like when I would get around certain foods. And again, I was more restrictive in my 20s, so it was harder for me from that perspective as well. But um, it was really hard for me to just like say no or, you know, just have a small piece of something. And that has become so much easier just mainly from these two reframes of like, I'm going to get to have it again. And if I eat this, you know, if I overeat, is, is it going to cause me to you know, feel the way that I want to feel? Yeah. And I think it's also important for people to hear that this is a skill like anything else. It takes work. It takes practice. Like what we're sharing here is not a magic pill. Like, hey, I'm just going to tell myself. Uh, I'm choosing not to eat it. It's not that I can't eat it. And like your problems are tomorrow. Gonna, they're not right. It, it takes work. And I think, you know, it does help for people to hear, like, I still, you know, I'm not going to say I'm perfect and I don't struggle with it. I definitely still struggle with it. Like not nearly as much as I used to, but, um, 
these are thoughts that you always have in your head, right? Because like food is a big component of our lives. Everybody, everybody eats. <laughs> Stupid statement, but regardless, it is something that we think about frequently. We all think about food frequently. We all think about food multiple times every single day, right? So you are going to have these thoughts frequently and they will, your thoughts and your behaviors will improve, but it's always something that's going to require effort, right? Like even this weekend, man, like, um, so, so I'm really good at, if there's no food around, I just won't eat obviously, but I'm not like, I'm, I don't feel pressure to like order food if I'm at a bar. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can be in an environment where other people have food and stuff and like, I won't really care. But if at my table, somebody orders food, I have really bad self-control. That's how I am. So like most places I just like, if I, I just don't order food, right? Cause like, if I do, I'm just going to go overboard on it. And that's a strategy that works for me. But like my wife, if we go out, like I know she's going to order something cause she just does. Right. And so Sunday we were going to go out for a, a football game and I had a pretty big lunch before. Like I had a big bowl of fruit, I had some steak, and I had a big salad bowl too. I ate all of that right before going. And I was like, I'm doing this because like, I know there's going to be food and like, I'm going to have lunch, so I don't need to eat there. And then my wife ordered nachos and I ate half, half of nachos. And I wasn't hungry. It's just like that the food was there, right? And then afterwards, it wasn't that I like felt bad about it, but I was like, I wonder why that is. Like, I definitely didn't need to eat nachos, but I still did. And then I had a smaller dinner and like whatever was over, but it's still like, a behavior that I did that I planned on not doing and then I still fail, right? So I think it helps for people to hear that because sometimes they think like, oh, you guys are nutrition professionals. You don't struggle with this. You don't understand. It's like, no, we understand. We've struggled with it for a long time. Um, it gets better and you will still, even when it gets better, still quote unquote mess up. And whatever you mess up is like not execute on the plan that you had as well as you thought you would. And just like, don't feel bad about it. It's cool. There's another opportunity coming next week probably and right? it's not the end of the world it's gonna have a yeah. minor impact on your health at the end of the day to if you overeat a couple of times like as long as you're being mindful and and making effort with your nutrition like you're doing a good job like it, you know the, the, you're not going to be perfect um in like just putting in that effort consistently with your nutrition being mindful trying to plan ahead trying to make sure that you're meeting your needs like if you're doing that stuff uh, don't get, don't be too hard on yourself beyond that because a lot of the mistakes that a lot of people make are because you got exposed to the wrong information or got exposed to it in the wrong way. People were speaking to you in fear mongering ways. Um, because that's, you know, that's what happened to me is, uh, you know, I just got exposed to information that was like, oh, this is scary. And this is, you know, this is going to harm your health. And, um, you know, that happens to everyone. And, and this is a process of kind of figuring things out. And, if you're listening to this podcast, you have good information and in, in, uh, the right mindset and approach from Joey. And that's rare uh, because a lot of people who come into this field of nutrition come into it from uh, or are oftentimes promoting things from a very disordered point of view in terms of like the way that, you know, saying, hey, you have to, you know, avoid all these foods and things like that. And uh, it's just not the way to go about it. Yeah, you know, it would be the ultimate way to troll everybody if I, I had like, some like uh, greens powder ads running like every 10 minutes on this episode, some fat burning pills. <laughs> the glucose monitoring device. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, man, I think we've, we've, uh, 
talked about this topic a ton. Um, and I want to be respectful of your time too. Is there anything else you want to talk about? You want to go ahead and wrap it up? No, no, I think we covered everything. Sweet man. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Do you mind sharing where people can find you on social media and how people can also um, learn more from you, your podcast, your course? And yeah. there'll obviously be in the description of this episode too for anybody listening. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Adrian Chavez. Uh, it's DR period, Adrian period Chavez. If you just search Dr. Adrian Chavez, you'll find me. Um, and then my podcast is called the Nutrition Science Podcast. I publish one episode per week. Um, various topics. They're a little bit shorter, about 30 minutes. And uh, it's a good thing to tune into if you want to learn more about nutrition. Uh, I go into quite a bit of depth on some topics like saturated fat and omega-3 fats and things like that. So highly recommend checking that out. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you just mentioned shorter episodes. Um, even like every time I talk to you, for example, or anybody, talk, every time I have a, a somebody that I'm interviewing on the podcast, I usually feel like the conversation flows way better the second half of the conversation. Like it takes some time to get into it. So sometimes I'm like, when we were talking at like a 30 minute mark, I was like, I think we covered a lot of this stuff too. And then we started sharing like personal experience. And I sometimes think that those subjective stories that we share at the end are way more valuable in terms of people being able to relate and like actually have stuff to implement right because i feel like sometimes we can be so theoretical talking about like the term unhealthy doesn't matter because right. context is important and this food in this context can be healthy yeah. people are like okay but then it's like when you actually start to share how you got to where you are and share that you've actually struggled with these things and you can relate that's when people really i think find a lot of value from from these conversations and that's why i drag you on here for almost an hour and a half so i'm gonna do as you're mentioning that i was actually planning to probably do some interview episodes on my show where i don't talk about science where i just talk about people's stories of like mm, yeah and and i want to find people because there's a lot of people who have like reversed chronic health conditions with a variety of different diets and I was thinking about bringing different people on and like just digging into their stories because I think that's really interesting. I'm stealing that idea from you. <laughs> Dang it. Okay. Uh, as soon as you have somebody, I'm going to invite them on the next week. <laughs> cool. You know what I do? I just rip people off. That's my, that's my strategy to succeed. <laughs> Who's doing well? What are they doing? Let me do it better. That, that's, that's the way to get there. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. No, but that is a great idea, you know, and maybe just interviewing people, even not from a nutritional standpoint, but people that are obviously living healthy lives and just have a conversation like, hey, how'd you get to where you are? And like, what does a day in your life look like? Yeah, exactly. And that way, you can just like relate to that really well, because I increasingly think that the lifestyle stuff is more and more and more important. And that's the stuff that people don't talk about, right? Like, like we were talking about, like, if I go to a restaurant um, and I eat a ton of like bread and butter. Because I always do that if a restaurant brings oh, bread and butter for Why do I not worry about it, right? Me just saying like, oh, I don't worry about it. I understand why we say those things because we don't worry about it. But to somebody who does worry about it, they're like, well, the fuck? Like, you know, how do I improve this? But then talking about like, hey, I don't worry about it because my overall lifestyle, I don't do that that frequently. I do that only like once a week. And here's why. And this is what the rest of my week looks like. That paints the whole picture, yep. right? That's like the non-science stuff. And it's funny because I think also that we want to present ourselves in a certain way because we are experts in a subject matter and we want to talk about it in a very like nuanced and fancy way as well. Um, but sometimes just talking about experience is so much more value. 
when you have a good experience, because obviously there are people on the other side sharing their experience. And that's all the stuff that you were talking about at the beginning, right? It's just anecdote. And then they, they, we, we talk science and then we attach anecdote. Other people talk about anecdote and they attach science to their anecdote. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, man, again, appreciate you a ton. For those of you guys that have listened this far, thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you're a regular listener of the show, all I ask is that you take a second to review the podcast, rate it. If you're listening on YouTube, thumbs up and comment for the algorithm. Thank you guys. Catch you next week.